electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to help you make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes we get so immersed in the Argo of Wall Street, we forget that millions of people have no idea what the heck we're talking about down here. The idea that we can blindly toss around terms like cyclical, secular, or even capital appreciation fixed income represents a combination of arrogance and cluelessness about what people understand and are comfortable with, people like you. And don't I even get me started on that thing called the yield curve. On days like today, though, where the Dow tumbled 285 points, as we lost 0.80%, the Nasdaq sank 1.18%. These concepts come into play, and you've got to understand them. First, we must always remember that the bond market is much bigger than the stock market and much more significant. U.S. Treasuries are the most important bonds in the world because they're deep, meaning they're very large markets for all levels of U.S. debt, and they're backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, which still matters despite the fact that the Uncle Sam is... $34 trillion in debt. Despite that humongous treasury issuance, all other bonds are priced off them, meaning the companies with the best balance sheets can issue bonds with just a little more in yield to attract buyers. Less healthy companies have to pay more for their debt, and the least healthy companies struggle to get financing at all. But beneath bonds in the pecking order of yield are the returns that come from common stock dividends that we talk about all the time. Unlike treasuries, dividends are the opposite of risk-free. A dividend can easily be canceled the moment the company has financial problems. Unlike bonds, they have zero obligation to keep paying that money. So why am I going into this soporific world of fixed income? Yeah, because I, I want to explain to you what the heck is going on with the stock market right now. And I can't do that unless you know how important higher-yielding dividend stocks are at this moment versus stocks that offer little or no yield. And when I talk about little or no yield, I mean stocks like the Magnificent Seven and their fellow traveler enterprise software plays. Why bring up the distinction? Because ever since October 23rd, the day that long-term interest rates peaked, higher-yielding dividend stocks have been flying, while the Magnificent Seven have fallen behind. Now, for most of last year, this market was led by the Mag Seven. But ever since rates peaked, no, they've lost their leadership. I want you to do this. I want you to consider the disparity between the performance of the S&P 500 with each member, each member's stock equally weighted rather than market cap weighted. In other words, every stock's equal in size versus the Magnificent Seven. See, ever since rates peaked, confirmed by the Fed's following decision to stop tightening short-term interest rates, which is, of course, the one it controls, look at what happened with the equal weighted S&P 500. This is the version of the S&P where Apple and Microsoft have the same weighting as all the other 498 stocks. The equal weighted S&P has beaten the Magnificent Seven Index by 13.4% to 11.2%. That 
That's 223 basis points, as the money managers would say. That's right. The leader for the last couple of months hasn't been the Magnificent Seven. Those stocks are underperforming the equal weight SP 500 by what the pros would say is actually a significant margin. If you stuck with the seven and your money manager, you actually lag behind the more pedestrian equal weighted index that makes the seven equivalent to the rest of the Lilliputians. Why is that? Because the market broadened away from the seven. Once interest rates peaked, investors started warming up to stocks that have dividend yields that might be less puny once we get rate cuts that we are expecting. More on that in a moment. What's working? Well, all sorts of other stocks. As you, you can tell from the performance of the equal weighted S&P 500, some of it's the banks. J.P. Morgan, for example, went from 141 to the high uh, to its highs, uh, actually all-time high in the 170s. Yeah, bank stock beating the Magnificent 70. Can you believe it? That's because it's going to be a big winner when it comes to earnings now that rates have peaked and it offers a higher yield than the 7 when it comes to income. It's not just J- J.P. Morgan. Bank of America has gone from 25 to 33. Wells Fargo, 39 to 48. Utility stocks roared. Same with real estate investment trust pipelines. Some higher-yielding retailers. Many economically sensitive st- industrials, they all outperform the Magnificent 7. What does this disparity tell us? Frankly, it says nothing about the seven itself. Those are still great companies. This is all about Wall Street's new consensus view that interest rates will keep coming down, making dividend stocks more valuable. I don't want to just cite this S&P equal weighted index as part of the new winners, though. There are other cross currents. Big institutions are making sizable bets on health care which is usually a sign that someone's very worried about a sudden slowing in the economy, perhaps because the Fed may not cut enough or fast enough, or maybe not cut at all. Uh, well, at least not aggressively. And I see this healthcare bet as making some sense, which is why we continue to own Eli Lilly for the Chapel Trust. It's best for me drug stock thanks to its revolutionary diabetes and weight loss drugs. Many of the drug stocks like AbbVie, GSK, and Merck, they're all having almost parabolic moves because they're both sensitive to the economy and pay large dividends. I don't like parabolic moves, you know that, because that often means you're late to the party. But the performance is so stark versus the MAG-7, you've got to recognize these stocks have become the new darlings that are bubbling the surface while the 7 have kind of stalled out. Now, you might ask, who has the money to buy all these other stocks and these indices? Where's it coming from? Again, the answer's right in front of you. The money's coming out of none other than the Magnificent Seven itself, especially from Apple, but also from Tesla and NVIDIA. These stocks are acting as what's known as sources of funds. Many portfolio managers are selling them sell, 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 sell. in order to raise money so they can invest it in buy, other buy, places. Buy, 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 buy. At the moment, they're putting it in the dividend stocks and healthcare. That's why I say it's a rotation. Money going from one part of the stock market into another. And it's happening rather mindlessly as the high yielders aren't even that high yielding anymore. It doesn't matter. When rates come down, these stocks will go higher still. When you look at that move since the bottom in October, though, you know that investors acted well ahead of events. That market, well, it, it anticipated everything is happening. What does all this tell us about your portfolio? I think it's clear. The market has momentarily fallen out of love with the MAG-7. While there'll be pockets of strength on any given day, more on that later, the money's headed away from a small group known for its magnificence to a much larger group of 493 pro-SAG stocks, as well as the Russell 2000 smaller cap stocks that have been kept down because of fears of recession, fears that diminish because of the Fed's debt handling economy. Don't worry, the seven will eventually return to their rightful place, but not until the rest of the market catches up with them or if the rest of the market and everything else falls, but the rest of the market doesn't fall harder than the MAG-7. Bottom line, this is a new market. That's right, where the mega cap techs are no longer the leaders. It's a market where money is being put to work at a lot of boring, higher yielding stocks, as well as smaller caps, 
healthcare, banks, REITs, and utilities. Right now, though, we got real profit-taking coming on the heels of last year's big finish, causing us to continue our more cautious tone on mad money and with the charitable trust, not putting money to work into the sweetest, not just watching and waiting with a lot of cash for much better prices. How about we go to Scott in Ohio? Scott! Hey there, Mr. Kramer. How are you tonight? I am doing well, Scott. What's up with you? Hey, not much, man. Hey, prior to the uh, the pandemic, which devastated the entire uh, uh, travel and tourism industry, I invested uh, quite heavily uh, with Carnival Cruise Lines. Okay. And I was wondering, do you see they have the, uh, the leadership to uh, get restored back to pre-pandemic limits? Okay, look, I, I think that they're good. Uh, I am more focused, frankly, on Royal because they've got a better balance sheet. But I think you're fine. And the reason I say that is because cruising is a great bargain and people always come back to that. We set that at the height of, the, of COVID and we're sticking by it. But Royal Caribbean is the one that looks the best right now. How about Randy in New York? Randy. Hey, Jim. Randy. Uh, I want to thank you for everything. My wife Thank and I, you. we watch you every morning at 9, and then we join you with the meeting at 1020 every day. Yes! We love You're you. You're like my, my sister Nan's friend that she bumped into who loves what we're doing. How can I help? We do. Um, you've been talking about discipline a lot lately, and I get it because, yeah, I've been burned by being a pig too often. But um, I did trim some of the giants that I made money on Good. the end of last year. But I got to Google, and something is on my shoulder saying, don't trim it yet. Even and it's not it's not dominating my portfolio. Understood. I, I understood. But here's the problem, Randy. You know, I trimmed all of them for for the trust because they're too big. And we've had too much of a run. Google in particular, I'm worried if Google Cloud Services doesn't come back, that stock is going to stall out. I am more concerned about Google than I am for any of the other of the magnificent seven, frankly. How about Vidya in Texas? Vidya. Hey, hi. Hi, Jim. How are you? All right. How about you? I'm good, sir. Thank you. So thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have been watching the show for a long time, and it is so insightful. I have a question for you on PayPal. I have been holding the stock for past two years, and there was no much traction on the stock price. Right. Do I continue to hold the stock or sell it off? Um, I got to tell you, this guy... Uh Alex Chris, who's running the company, into it. He's a winner. I haven't been behind PayPal for a long time. I think this guy, if he delivers a good quarter next, then we will know that PayPal is back and bigger than we expected. And again, to Randy with Google, look, Google's not expensive, but I am concerned. That's why we had to take a little schnitzel. We were being greedy. Magnificent Seven are no longer the leaders in this market. we got to accept that. Instead, the money's going into high yielders and some banks and some drug stocks, healthcare. Reach, you bet. I think that, that all this is going to keep happening and that the Mag 7 is going to stall. It's just not where you want to be. That's why we trim some of them. Oh, well, everybody, tonight, is it time to trim your winners after 2023's big run? I'm looking at last year's SP 500 standouts for a sense of what 2024 has in store. And it's not all about the winners. I'm digging the stocks that were at the bottom of the barrel in the SP 500, too. And I see some things I like. Don't miss my takeaways. Plus, has the market's heightened expectations on interest rates sprinted too far ahead of reality? I'm reading those tea leaves for you so I can tell you what I think is going to happen with the upcoming Fed action. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. So many people swapped out of stocks into treasuries to get that safe 5% return last year. Only for the S&P 500 to make fools out of them by giving you a 24% gain. Before I get into winners and losers, let's just talk about the broader framework. Last year started with the widely held consensus that we were headed toward a hard landing, a bad situation for the economy, something that seemed to be confirmed by the bank runs, remember, last March and the Fed's relentless series of rate hikes. But then a funny thing happened. We got inflation under control without crushing the economy, which allowed the Fed to put more rate hikes on hold, causing the market to roar. Everyone who told you to sell because we had an inverted yield curve that supposedly signaled an inevitable recession, well, you know what? They look like stooges. They are stooges. So after stealing ourselves for a year of defensiveness and underperformance for all but the most recession-proof stocks, we got the exact opposite. And that was duly reflected in both the winners and the losers for 2023. When you look at what did well and what did poorly in the S&P 500, it's all about that changing top-down worldview even as most of the best performers only did come from, yes, indeed, the ranks of tech. 
And the first up, no surprise, it's NVIDIA. Yeah, the one that I named my dog after, which gave you a staggering 239% gain. These guys shocked people with stunning $4 billion sales guidance miss, except it was a miss to the upside. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it before. NVIDIA is perhaps the greatest intellectual property monopoly of our era, a collection of hardware and software that's made it, impo- made it possible for generative AI, generative artificial intelligence, to prevail over all other forms of technology. Technology. When you combine generative AI with large language models, you can envision a world where the drudgery of work goes away and only the most imaginative of products requires much human input. Now, I am a gigantic believer in the technology. I think most of the worries are overblown. Terminator is a great movie, but we didn't need to be afraid of Skynet. It's not going to happen like that. I can't dismiss fears that AI will put people out of work, although I don't see how it's different from any other productivity-enhancing technology, which therefore produces more money and therefore produces more hiring. What can be dismissed as Moore's law, though? That's that old semiconductor orthodoxy from Intel great Gordon Moore, who observed that chips seem to double in power every two years. Until very recently, we, we assumed that was the natural speed limit of the semiconductor industry. But NVIDIA Jensen Wong blew right past that. The more his technology increased in computing power, the more outfits like Meta and Amazon tried to get as many NVIDIA chips as they could. The Chinese, desperate for NVIDIA's latest and greatest, had to settle for dumbed-down gaming chips thanks to our government's export restrictions, something that must frustrate the military-led PRC to no end. I don't know if this stock can maintain its trajectory, though. In fact, the stock's been stalled since July. I still say to own NVIDIA, but it's hard to imagine the stock tripling again this year. I bet it can resume its climbing in 2024, but just not by the same magnitude. Second best performer in the S&P, it's Meta Platforms. Yes, the stock's 194% rally. It's shocking only to those who genuinely doubted Mark Zuckerberg's resolve when he nicknamed 2023 as the year of efficiency. Of course, it's not just the expense side that matter. Meta also saw a resurgence in Instagram as they created a workaround uh, to make the ads that were targeted uh, on Apple devices, which were then blocked by Apple. Well, let's just say they got around Apple. I don't know exactly how they did it, but they got around it. And then, of course, Reels, their TikTok competitor, started to really come on strong. Now, I know this is the year where Metaverse needs to produce some winners. And maybe they will come from either from Quest 3 VR, that's their headset, or the AI-filled Ray-Bans. I'm betting the metaverse will no longer be bereft of revenues. These products have too much going for them, even as I have no idea how big they'll be. To me, though, the main driver of meta stock has much more to do with Mark Zuckerberg's resolve than it does with new products. But that might change in 2024. Third, when you consider that there was no recession in 2023, you can understand how Royal Caribbean and Builders First Source could see their stocks rally 162% and 157% respectively. Royal Caribbean showed that cruises remains a great American pastime, even though a few years ago cruise ships were seen as floating COVID carriers. Royal Caribbean was the star of the group as it was capable of raising a huge amount of money when its stock surged after the pandemic. Then they backed it up with great revenues and earnings. Their stock performed better than Carnival Norwegian Cruise because Royal Caribbean's got the best balance sheet. Nevertheless, the real reason for the monster run is that a year ago, Wall Street expected a vicious hard landing. And now everybody believes in the soft landing scenario. That's much better for the cruise lines. Plus, the long on money, short on time travel thesis never really waned, at least when it came to cruises. As for Biller's first source, get to know this name. This is one that confounded many investors, especially those who've never heard of the outfit, which provides professional home builders with everything they need to do their work. When you consider this stock performs so much better than the stocks of Home Depot and Lowe's, you have to believe that professional contractors make it for much better customers than do-it-yourselfers. It makes sense when you look at the strength of the home builders. The professionals crush in 2023. While the amateurs, they chose to pull back their spending. Builders First Source is no small company. It's 570 distribution manufacturers 
production locations, 43 states, flew under the radar for most of 2023. But I think those states are now behind them, and there's plenty of room for more story stores, uh, therefore more growth and better stories for this year. Finally, there's one of my favorites that I think might be dismissed for multi-destined, I'd say destined, not dismissed, for multi-year growth. And that's Uber Technologies, up 149%. Here's a company that many bears thought would be a perennial money loser because it only ever seemed to care about revenue growth, not earnings. But in 2023, Uber made the pivot, pulling off a transformation from giant loss maker to profitability. While it has a rejuvenated competitor in Lyft, one that I back for a 40% gain because of the brilliance of CEO David Risher, there's no doubt that Uber has won over the hearts and minds of ride shares everywhere. We've seen the success of this company as it has prevailed not just in transportation, but also in food delivery. Given that they could conquer both categories while posting monster earnings growth, it's no wonder the stock could roar like that. So let me give you the bottom line here. When you look at the top five performers in the SP 500 last year, you've got three extremely high-quality tech names and two economically sensitive stocks that caught a huge tailwind when the Fed steered us toward a soft landing. I wouldn't expect them to put up similarly insane gains this year, but I bet they can keep climbing, albeit at a slower pace. Net Money is back after the break. Coming up, we've heard about the S&P's top swimmers. Which index components did the doggy paddle in 2023? Find out next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When we think about what could have been the worst performers... In the S&P 500 for 2023, a lot of people would have guessed it would go something like this. A popped artificial intelligence bubble coupled with a total collapse in the stocks of the home builders and the regional banks. Think about it. How many people believe that AI had the fizzle out as a thesis for making money? Only NVIDIA and to a lesser extent Adobe and Microsoft really cashed in on the notion that AI could produce big profits. And really, of those, only NVIDIA succeeded in delivering great numbers in 2023. But the air never did come out of the AI balloon, perhaps because it's not a balloon in the first place. I do believe that 2024 will be more discerning when it comes to true generative AI winners. However, in 2023, the people who got hurt by AI were mainly the short sellers betting against it. As for the banks and the home builders, these are normally the stocks that get poleaxed as the Fed raises interest rates. And the regional banks did crash last spring, but they managed to recover once the Fed eventually decided to stop tightening because it's more or less won its war against inflation. That allowed the regional banks to have a lethargic comeback after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. By the way, it was a comeback that accelerated nicely when the Fed stopped its hiking at the end of October. The most shocking performance for 2023 came from the housing cohort. 
Now, these should have been crushed because mortgage rates doubled in an incredibly short period of time. But thanks to a combination of healthy balance sheets for home buyers and the lack of overbuilding, the home builders put on some of the most bountiful profits that they have ever seen. I think we're all going to doff our caps to these companies for maintaining restraint in the face of rising demand. But who can blame them for holding back during the most aggressive tightening cycle that most Americans have ever lived through? Plus, with tough zoning loans, laws, and expensive labor, and materials killing up in price, the home builders were constrained to begin with. Still, it's a testament to the big ones that they figured out how to have rising gross margins, even as higher interest rates should have squelched any chance of that happening. Those three surprises led to a remarkably different group of losers than most investors would have expected, even just six months ago. Uh, by the way, losers that were practically unthinkable going into the la- last year, going into 2023. First, the worst performing the SP 500 was Enphase. That's a solar power company. Saw its stock fall 50% last year, and that's even after it rebounded from $73 to 132 years end. What happened to cause that rally? Well, the same thing that killed the stock in the first place, change in interest. Enphase had been a huge winner from 2022 through, uh, through 2022, running from 21 at the bottom in March of 2020 to just under 340 at the top in December of 2022. Many bet the stock would keep winning last year thanks to high energy costs and the government's desire to defeat fossil fuels. But a collapse in energy prices and far, far, far more important, the historic rise in interest rates produced incredible loss for the faithful. Yep, Enphase Solar turned out to be an interest rate derivative and not much more because hardly anyone can buy these solar panels without financing. They're too expensive. Now, we know Enphase is a hostage of interest rates first and a renewable energy company second. In fact, the stock bottomed out when rates peaked. Nothing to do with the price of energy. But this one crushed people who thought it represented the future of energy and not the future of credit. Hey, speaking of shocking, how about this ag play FMC? It astonished people with epic shortfalls that brought the stock down 49%. Most people don't realize that this company is likely going to see its earnings get cut in half from 2022 because the feed the world bull market thesis it abruptly came to an end. Grain prices cascaded lower once the world adjusted the war in Ukraine. Even the breadbasket of Europe can't produce as much food as it used to. Other countries eventually did make up the difference. While FMC is a great company, it didn't matter because the whole agricultural complex failed you. With Many of the grains reversing from their highs and finishing the red. What a remarkable come down. One that most people just didn't see coming, given the relentless drumbeat of chronic food shortages worldwide. Sure, ag could bounce back. But you know what? If that's the case, I would much rather own the stock of John Deere. Third worst performer, Dollar General. Now, I went to my local one during vacation to see if it was missed something, something that could explain the stock's nearly 45% decline last year. I saw a lot of empty shelf space. I shared a pick of this, by the way, in the middle aisle. And, and there is a dearth of help at Dollar General. But that was the same thing I saw at Dollar General the year before. I think it got slammed by a combination of a stronger economy with fewer customers trading down, coupled with the difficulty of hiring people and, of course, the prevalence of shoplifting. Dollar General has now brought back its old CEO, Todd Vassos. I think he can make a go at turning things around. But at the end of the day, you don't buy a dollar store stock when the economy is better than anyone expected. And the Fed's about to start cutting interest rates anyway. That said, if you think that's a hard landing still in the cards, and some people do, then this stock might be a good one, even as many of its stores simply aren't stocked correctly. Next, I can't believe that these two COVID success stories, Moderna and Pfizer, could see their stocks fall more than 44 and 43% respectively. Isn't that amazing? 
Moderna was the first company to develop a vaccine for COVID. It took in billions of sales and a gigantic amount of earnings, and that didn't last, and the losses returned rather quickly. Most people seem to believe that Moderna could put its pandemic-era profits to work somehow in an instant in order to shore up the company's profitability. It failed to do so. Others believe that Moderna could accelerate the development of personalized vaccines to stop cancer, something these guys have talked about for ages, but it wasn't able to pull off. I think the CEO, Stefan Bansell, I think he's brilliant. But even he had to be shocked by how people could turn on him and his stock, which fell from 497 in 2021 down to 99 at the end of last year. Well, that's up from $62 and change at its lows. I maintain faith in the science here, although that might not mean much in the face of a hated part of healthcare. That said, it's up more than 9% in the last couple of days, so maybe people are starting to put behind the COVID headache. Hey, speaking of hated uh, groups, Pfizer stock was one of the biggest flameouts in history. I'm constantly asked about this one as a possible comeback kit. For that to happen, though, CEO Dr. Albert Borla needs to organize his disparate acquisitions as something that represents a profit stream in the face of Pfizer's endless patent cliffs. Oh, and profit shortfalls. The stock was hurt severely because of its inability to forecast how quickly people settled in to recognize that COVID was here to stay, which ended up curtailing big sales for Paxlovid. That's uh, its COVID treatment that's got the closest thing we have to a cure. Once we saw the real numbers, the market overreacted in sending this one down. Can it make a comeback? Sure. We even have a nice drug rally going on right now, but this is an election year, and Big Pharma makes a great political punching bag for both parties. The Biden administration even pulled off the unthinkable. It's really totally unthinkable. I mean, they got congressional approval to negotiate lower drug prices for Medicare. Not enough people talk about this. It's major. That put a total lid on the group, except for Eli Lilly, which has that GLP-1 weight loss drug halo. However, Pfizer recently closed on a deal to buy CGen, which could give them an excellent anti-cancer franchise. And the stock's got a 5.65% yield, which will make it more valuable in a lower interest rate environment. Hey, look, maybe hope springs eternal when it comes to the perennially disappointing Pfizer. Bottom line, it's an odd-eyed group of losers, one that might not have occurred if we were headed uh, for the hard landing that so many expected at the beginning of the year. But we got the soft landing scenario, and that created a whole different bunch of winners and losers than most expected. Let's talk to Wade in North Carolina. Wade. Happy New Year's, Jim. Thank you, Wade. Same to you. All right. I was wondering uh, if you think Lululemon will continue higher or will it be a quote unquote January slump along with the S&P? OK, I, let me just say this about Lululemon. All right. I've been a big, big believer in Lululemon and I'm not backing away. The stock looks like it's rolling over. I think you let it come down and you buy it because they have what it takes to be a great worldwide, not American, but worldwide retailer. And those are hard to come by. Zane in Florida. Zane. Yeah, Jim. Looking at uh, energy transfer, uh, common stocks giving you a 9% dividend, but other stocks in the group like Kendra Morgan and Williams are anywhere between 5 and 6%. So what's the deal with energy well, transfer? Well, a, a lot of people worried about the balance sheet. They don't think it's as good. Uh, I made my piece with the balance sheet. I think ET's good. And by the way, the MLP sector has been doing quite well. Uh, and I'm still a backer. I, I like One Oak and I like uh, Enterprise Product. Uh, I have to tell you, if you're going to really buy one of these, I really think you have to buy Enterprise Products Partners. It only yields 7.4, but boy, does it have great earnings. If the hard landing scenario that so many predicted for 2023 panned out, then maybe these names would have acted better last year. Instead, we got a soft landing, and these names struggled to keep up with the rest of the S&P 500. Because of it, well, you know what? They just... 
They weren't what people wanted. Much more man money. Is the market getting ahead of itself on rates? I'm giving you my outlook on the upcoming action from the Fed. Plus, CBC Investing Club members know it's hard to trim the magnificent seven stocks. So what makes me confident that maybe a little trimming is the right move? I'm sharing my thesis, and if I think these names still have staying power in the new year, and yes, I can always come back and buy them. Of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Never forget that price matters in this business. After the stunning rally in November and December, okay, I'm feeling a little more cautious, a little more queasy in the new year, especially when it comes to the high multiple tech stocks that led the way for most of 2023. The big seven friends. Even though I'm still feeling good about the economy, and I like the prospects of the mega caps, don't get me wrong, the averages have gone up a lot in the last couple of months. And the higher we go, the more you need to worry about what might trip us up, even if you do like the companies themselves. Right now, one of my biggest concerns is the market may have gotten a little ahead of itself betting on a friendly Federal Reserve. Everybody's now expecting a slew of rate cuts this year. But as I said at the top of the show, that doesn't mean they'll happen as soon as we want or that we'll get as many as we want. Remember, long-term rates peaked in late October, which is what kicked off the broader year-end rally that eclipsed the performance of the Magnificent Seven. And then we got another leg higher after the Fed meeting last month when Jay Powell heavily implied that they're done raising rates. That's what opened the door for the last few weeks of monster gains, nine straight weeks, pushing the Dow, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ 100 to new all-time highs last week. However, let's remember what the Fed actually told us last month. The big positive surprise this time was a thing called the dot plot, the graphic that shows where the members of the Open Market Committee see the federal funds rate at the end of this year. This time, the majority of committee members expected the Fed to cut rates at least three times in 2024. Now, that was a major shift from the Fed's previous party line, that rates might need to stay higher for longer. That's what precipitated this big rally. Now, in response, yes, the average is roared. But I am worried because Wall Street's not behaving like we're going to get three cuts this year. It's behaving like we're going to get a lot more. When you look at the Fed Fund's futures market, where the Fed, where traders bet on what the Fed Fund's rate's going to be, the one that's set by our central bank, it's now pricing in not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six normal rate cuts this year. Now, that is just outrageously greedy. According to CME's FedWatch tool, the majority of interest rate traders are betting the federal funds rate will be between 3.75 to 4% range hey, or, or lower after the December 2024 Fed meeting, down 150 basis points or, or more from where we are now? While money managers aren't expecting a rate cut at the next Fed meeting a few weeks from now, they are betting on a rate cut in the meeting uh, after that in March, followed by five more cuts through the rest of the year. I think that is just way too optimistic. I expect 2024 plays out far more like the Fed's current view. Three rate cuts likely gra- occurring gradually, rather than the six almost lockstep rate cuts that the Fed funds pro- futures are projecting. Why does it matter? Well, because if stocks have roared in anticipation of six rate cuts and we only get three, then that's a negative catalyst for a huge chunk of the stock market, including the high-yielding dividend stocks I talked about at the top of the show. Sooner or later, the people betting on six cuts will get disillusioned. You know what happens when they get disillusioned? Yeah, they sell. It could happen simply through routine Fed speak, meaning public commentary from Fed officials. We, all, we cover everything they say. Or it could be with something Jay Powell says at the next meeting comes to the end of the month. The Fed might decide that investors overreacted to its pivot late last year. So you might get Fed officials making statements telling investors to cool the jets. Powell only needs to say that any rate cuts will be considered carefully to scare some of these people. 
But honestly, these guys might not even need to say anything. If there's a flare-up in the inflation data, a too-hot CPI reading, or the PCE deflator coming in higher than expected, then Wall Street will dial back its expectations for rate cuts. Given that the economy's been surprisingly resilient for a while now, there are all sorts of ways we could get a brief pickup in inflation, people. Maybe commodities start to rebound. Maybe the labor market stays tight. Any reminder that we haven't annihilated inflation will spook people at this point. Finally, even if the Fed gives us more rate cuts than expected, remember, they only control the short rates. Longer-term rates are set by the bond market. So if there's a tepid demand at a few Treasury auctions, like we saw, by the way, in that late summer period, then long rates will come back up. Remember, the rally late last year kicked off when the Treasury Department said it would focus more on selling short-term Treasuries to fund the government rather than longer-term treasuries, because the oversupply there was pushing long rates into the stratosphere. But they can't stop selling long-term treasuries entirely. And a few more bad treasury auctions could put us in a place where the Fed effectively loses its more limited influence over long rates. Now, let's put it all together. I think Wall Street's gotten offsides in terms of interest rate expectations. Once the market starts pricing in something more like the three rate cuts, like the Fed expects, rather than the six rate cuts that the futures market expects, that's going to hurt the average. It just is. And especially the stocks that soared into the end of last year. I think this uber-positive rate cut view may be dashed as soon as this first quarter when few are expecting it. But there's a possible silver lining here. See, I think it's a very good thing if the Fed ends up cutting rates three times this year, because three rate cuts will mean the economy ended up being stronger than expected. That's okay. A lot of people are betting on six rate cuts because they think the economy will be weaker, that it's going to tank, forcing the Fed to take desperate action to prop everything up. It's easy to get caught up in the simplistic idea that rate cuts are good for stocks and rate hikes are bad for stocks. While that's generally true in the short term, you need to take a step back. You look at the bigger macroeconomic picture, because the Fed does things for a reason, and that reason matters. The Fed raises rates when the economy gets too hot and they need to curb inflation. The Fed typically cuts rates when it wants to stimulate the economy because it's too slow. I just don't think we need all that much stimulation. If the Fed does eventually need to cut rates six times this year, that is a bad thing because it means the economy's entered a tailspin, forcing the Fed to take drastic measures to get everything back on track. The bottom line, I don't think the half dozen rate hikes are going to happen. I'm betting the economy will continue chugging along a little bit slower than it has been, uh, you know, but maybe not terrible, with less and less inflation, which is good. If I'm right, that's good news for corporate earnings and only good news for stocks, which is why I want you ready to pounce on any sell-off that comes from a more cautious Fed that doesn't want to cut too hard, only to see inflation come roaring back, or panicking those who thought we were having a soft, not a hard landing. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Time for the lightning round. Rodney in Georgia. Rodney. Hey, Jim. Hey, uh, first time caller, Crowd Club member of about yes. four months. So thank you so much for helping oh, all right the foodies out. Thank you, buddy. Hey, um, got a question about Equitrans. 
midstream. Very solid. Good growth, good yield. I like their, pro- their profile. And that group is very hot. I also like energy transfer and enterprise product. Let's go to Michael in Tennessee. Michael. Jim and Gerald. Yo, Michael man. Las Vegas. Yo, what's going on? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I would like your thoughts on the quantum computing company, ticker symbol I-O-N. Oh, I know. People want to own quantum, and it is a way to play quantum, just like you have these uranium companies, a way to play uranium. I don't think it holds up under close scrutiny. It's a company that's losing money. I say Ixnay, I-O-N-Q-Nay. Let's go to George in Pennsylvania. George. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. Wanted to wish you, your family, and your staff a very happy, healthy oh. 2024. And- Thank you. Let's go, Bird. Same. Well, yeah, absolutely. And same to your family. What's going on? Uh, just wanted to. I was thinking about building a position in KTOS, Kratos Great. Defense and Security. I think Solutions. it's good, but let me tell you, I was talking with Jeff Marks today. We're watching this RTX starting to sneak up. Uh, I saw some good news about Northrop, and let's never forget AVAV because, man, when you talk about drones, and were we at, did we ever have a bid on that company? For a long time, Aero Environment, we've been liking it. Ever since I was able to use it in the parking lot, another place I used to work called Englewood Cliffs. Let's go to Dave in Virginia. Dave. Hi, Jim. Dave Miller from Richmond, Virginia. How are you? I love Richmond. Shaco Slip. Give me something. Give me something. Tell me. Tell me something I don't know. Wahoo Wah. Wahoo Wah. One hour up the road. Hey, Jim, uh, a couple of years ago, I bought my stock, listening to it here on this segment, researched it, did my homework, basis in the upper 30s, traded up to 47 last summer. Uh, Now it's taken a pretty big hit on both earnings and a downgrade by Baird today. It's Borg Warner BWA. You can't sell that thing down here. You can't sell that down. Look, I was watching Phil LeBeau all day. People are selling a lot of cars, particularly the hybrids. I am more of a buyer. I'm going to throw in another. Throw in Magna, MGA. I like both of them. You stay long. Don't Don't get discouraged. Let's go to Anthony in Pennsylvania. Anthony. Hey, Jim. How you doing tonight? I am having a good time. How about you? Good. Happy New Year to you. Go oh, yeah. And go Eagles. Go Birds. What can I say? They're still playing. Hey, I want to thank you for everything you do that uh, levels the playing field for us small guys. Thank you. It's the best compliment I could think of. No, that's great. I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, thank you so much. Thank you for saying well, it. Well, that, that compliment you? is... Uh, you're the ultimate fiduciary for the regular guy. Thank you. Thank you very Love much. Love the soundboard, too. Listen, I want to see if they could ever attain their old uh, value. You know, I think I think that's going to be hard, Anthony. I really do. I think that I'm not saying the best days are behind them because that's what the Wall Street guys, they say. I just don't think you're going to get a lot of mojo out of that thing. I mean, I just think that if you really want to own a company that's going to be levered to mortgage rates, I mean, well, there's better place. There's better place. What can I say? I don't want to be in Lending Tree. I, I'll tell you the truth. I'd rather be in Toll Brothers. That's lever to mortgage rates. Toll Brothers is very good, by the way. Let's go to Ernest in North Carolina. Ernest. Yes. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you, Ernest? I cannot complain. Look, I follow the market a little bit. I haven't jumped in the pool and started investing yet, but Longboard caught my attention yesterday, um, and they were trading at about 6 uh, dollars a couple weeks ago. Is that good for a solid investment long-term or short-term uh, returns? I think, you know, they, they announced a study 
uh, good top line data from a study they did. My inclination is to think that we just have to say we missed the longboard pharma move. Because when I see a parabolic move like that, I know I am not early. But I thank you for the call. Hey, let's take another one. Let me go to Alyssa in Florida, please. Alyssa. Hey there. We love you from St. Petersburg. I love St. Petersburg. Holy cow, it never rains there. It's always (laughs) sunny in St. Petersburg, not Philly. (laughs) (laughs) My question is, does Jay Bell still have legs on it or has it run its course? You know, they had a not great quarter and the stock didn't go down. When I see that kind of activity, it kind of piques my interest. I'd be a buyer, not a seller of J-Bell. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. Coming up, trimming is such sweet sorrow, but focus on the sweet. Nobody ever got hurt talking a profit. Kramer explains next. such sweet sorrow. And that's how I feel after the Travel Trust let go of small portions of our magnificent six hoard. I say six because we don't know Tesla. I have conviction that these phenomenal mega cap stocks will remain strong long-term performers, but they've had huge runs, and I feel like a pig if I didn't take something off the table. Now, it's not that hard to gin up reasons to sell some of these stocks on a fundamental basis. Yesterday, Barclays downgraded Apple to sell saying that it's lowering estimates following another round of checks. We are still picking up weakness on iPhone volumes and mix, the company said, Barclays says. And the note then continues, as well as a lack of bounce back in Macs, iPads, and wearables. Well, man, I, I personally have great faith in the service revenue growth, but the note suggests that there's a slowing in that robust high-margin category, too. All in all, it's a disappointing piece for those of us who are Apple aficionados. But I can easily dismiss the note by saying, well, we've heard that all before. And what about the Vision Pro? That comes out soon. Couldn't that be a force? It's not a factor in the piece, but as someone who has worn it, I can tell you that one day it might be a needle mover. Still, I get the reasons to sell, echoed by another piece just issued today from D.A. Davidson, saying that the stock's a hold as it waits for Apple to get, quote, unstuck on the innovation front. They think the company simply isn't creative enough to make a compelling investment. Holy cow. Of course, while we talk about the magnificent segments of group, these companies are, alas, different and at different points in their corporate life cycle. For example, this morning, we got a piece from Bank of America about Amazon saying it sees, and I quote, room for margin upside in 2024 with prime video ads providing a nice boost, end quote. Amazon spent $7 billion on prime media content, and the research says it's about to charge a $3 monthly premium for ad-free prime video. Given that Prime has 150 million video users and perhaps, say, 70% might choose the lower-cost subscription with ads, Bank of America's estimates that estimates that that means $3 billion in potential incremental ad revenue and $4.8 billion in total incremental ad plus subscription revenue. Holy cow, that's the equivalent of Amazon just waving a magic wand that prints money. One minute I'm watching an excellent Reacher episode, highly recommended 47 minutes of uninterrupted TV. The next minute, will I be watching an hour-long Reacher with commercials? No thanks. Let me pay that three smackers, please. Or take Tesla, the one member of the Magnificent Seven that we don't own for the Travel Trust. This morning, the always creative Adam Jonas over at Morgan Stanley reiterated his $380 price target for this $238 stock 
based on a whole host of what he calls beyond auto kinds of, of reasons. Now, we may think of Tesla as a vehicle company that Jonas says is worth $86 on a discounted cash flow basis. But the sum of Tesla's other parts, financial services, possible deal with Chinese electric vehicle maker BYD, opportunities in insurance, ride sharing, network services, Tesla Energy. Well, among all that, he thinks you get stock to the parts of the stock to be worth $380. How many companies have that kind of optionality? Then there are these new meta platform smart Ray-Bans that allow you to take great pictures for your Instagram page. They do everything from playing music to making calls to answering messages just by saying, hey, meta. Hey, Siri. Unlike every other attempt at smart glasses, these look like simple Ray-Bans. You can't really tell the difference. They're not clunky or hard to use either. They could be meaningful down the line. Yep, when you sell or even just trim any of the seven, something always seems to come up that makes you regret doing so. The good news, right now it looks like you're going to get a chance to buy these stocks lower because the stock market's turning nasty. No one ever got hurt taking a profit. These darn companies are so good, they always seem to come up with something that makes them more compelling than we thought. Look, that is just the definition of a good investment, as long as you do some trimming after big game. Don't worry, if they come down big, you can always buy them right back again. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.